A Happy Bureaucracy by M.P. Fitzgerald Narrated by Gary Bennett Author's Note Strewn between drug use, groin malice, and cursing on a level tantamount to sacrilege are gratuitous mentions of bureaucracy. These bureaucratic references may not be for the weak of heart. Chapter 11 At times it felt as though Robbie's driving was like trying to buck a Saturn V rocket. Knuckle-white tension and high-octane fuel was the new law for the journey. Consequence could only ever happen if it caught up with you, and with their new ride, this was unlikely. Truly, this was Robbie Duke, freelance enforcer at her best. Arthur did not vomit, but only because there was no food in his system to purge. Whether it was out of necessity or minor revenge against the system, Commissioner DeWitt was seated inside the cage that was welded to the back of the shark, a name Robbie immediately adopted for the car, and enforced almost violently. No one followed. By the time the IRS agents had made it back to the van and drove it and the shark to the horseshoe rock enclosure that Robbie and Arthur had camped out in the night before, a yellow-orange haze had engulfed Slaver City. The darkness of Earth's own shadow had engulfed the valley and mountains, and the inhumane city they left behind had caught fire. Whatever calliope of drug-induced insanity they had left behind them, it had peaked with the wholesale destruction of at least three of the pre-war buildings. Committing precious water to those buildings would be egregious. Instead, the denizens of Slaver City opted for the more abundant resource of sand, using every free and slave hand available to dig and snuff the fire out. As the fires faded and much of the chaos had ceased, Rabia, Arthur, and the commissioner sat on top of a boulder, sharing provisions of food, water, and alcohol. They admired Robbia's professional handiwork. Arthur finally accepted Robbia's offer of whiskey. The three of them were in immensely good spirits. Watching the fire had done much for this, but freedom was surely the better opiate. Robbia lit a cigarette and slapped Arthur on the knee. You are a real bastard, she said affectionately. You are lucky I'm a goddamn professional. Arthur took a swig of whiskey and then rebounded in horror as its hateful burn assaulted his throat, then numbed his senses. He wasn't quite drunk enough to reply to her with something cheesy like, I'm lucky to have you, but he did have enough courage to scoot closer to his knight in sheet metal, which, for Arthur, was about as suave as he was capable of. He passed the bottle to DeWitt, whose eyes had taken up a fire of their own after a couple of swigs and no longer looked as tired as they had in his cage. How in the hell did you manage that? DeWitt asked Robbia, passing back the bottle. Robbia had her share of wild turkey, an amount that was alarming, and then turned to look at the old man. Your employee of the year here had us caught in the spider's web, so to speak, she said, referring to Arthur as she slapped him on the back. Once he was gone, I slit the throat of one of the guards as he came to drag me then shoved my fly swatter to the other's dick before he could say anything. I threatened to kill him if he didn't give me his clothes. And you used them as a disguise to sneak in? Arthur asked intuitively. Christ no, he wouldn't hand them over. So I unzipped him with my knife from crotch to belly button, Robbie replied, removing her cigarette contemplatively. Both men stared at her in horror. 
Arthur moved away from her, just a little. I made my way back to the van, taking a different path than we came. Had half the urge to drive back home, too, she continued. Spending a couple of days with his dew-cutter was enough to guilt me back. She nodded at Arthur with a drunken smile. So I did what any God-fearing patriot would do. I packed my pockets with every high-powered drug at my disposal and headed back with a cocktail of fear and loathing that would kill any lesser woman. Then you donned his armor and snuck inside? Arthur tried again. Hell no. Had to kill a different man for that. Came around on the backside of town nearest the cages and saw one of them pissing in a corner, Robbia answered lightheartedly. DeWitt raised his hand. I don't need to know what you did to him, he said, half chuckling in fear. Robbia shrugged. Suit yourself. Tomorrow is going to be a big day, DeWitt said. If Arthur was conflicted about how he felt about Robbia before, he wasn't now. Robbia was brave, or batshit insane. But however she wielded her traits, she did so admirably. Here was a woman who was truly in charge of herself. Oh, she was frightening, and her constant consumption of chemicals was worrying. But she was everything Arthur was not. She was commanding, decisive, and not bound to petty rules. She had somehow managed to do all of this in the United Wastes without losing her humanity or empathy. She had saved him, and he was man enough to admit that wasn't emasculating at all. Arthur had never been in love, but this felt like the start of it. We should leave early, Robbia said. They should be too busy with damage control to send men out looking for us, but never underestimate the drive of revenge in a stupid man. We head home before dawn and we take both cars. We can't go home yet, DeWitt said. We have a census to take. Robbia's jaw dropped at this, and for a moment it looked as though her mind was not able to process what she had just heard. Have you lost your goddamn mind? Have worms been chewing on your amygdala? I just risked my goddamn life to save you two with my personal medicine bag, something that I will bill you for. And you want to count heads? DeWitt nodded. Robbia looked to Arthur for help. I agree. We have to go back, he said. DeWitt looked at him approvingly. You make the IRS proud. Robbia looked as though a vein was about to burst in her head. Arthur could hear the distinct sound of grinding teeth and saw that the butt of her cigarette had been chewed down. She looked at Arthur, and the look of betrayal sunk his heart. He gathered his courage and realized he was likely going to disappoint both of them. We don't go back for the census, though, Arthur finally managed. We go back because there are people, helpless, innocent people, who are locked up in cages and have no future. Robbie's eyes softened at this, and once more rested her hand on his knee. You're a good man, Charlie Brown, but freeing those slaves is as suicidal as trying to get those caveman Nazi bastards to fill out a census. We leave tomorrow. The hell we are, DeWitt blurted, returning Robbie's anger. I'm not exactly happy about Boyd's trap, but we have a duty to fulfill, and I am in charge, goddammit. The hell you are, you pencil-dicked bureaucrat. I am a freelance enforcer. I can terminate my contract whenever I want, Robbia screamed, standing up and clutching the bottle of wild turkey like a throat. She looked down at Arthur, pleading. 
We would need an army to save those people, G-Man, and there is no pleasing Know-It and Boyd. I think I know how to do both, Arthur said softly. He stood up between Robbia and DeWitt. Hear me out, he said. Whiskey is getting to your head, G-Man, Robbia said, replacing her cigarette with a new one. No, maybe. Well, Arthur said, realizing that he had a slight slur. DeWitt rolled his eyes as Robbia sat back down. The IRS has an army, one of the largest, and one the colonel is afraid of. He thinks that the agency is going to raid him any day now, so there's no reason why he should be proven wrong. DeWitt chuckled. It isn't our department to free slaves or rescue the needy, though. We collect taxes. Yes, Arthur replied, and that is precisely what we are going to do. The colonel has a record of every transaction that they make. He counted me in it before I was enslaved. DeWitt's old eyes widened at this, and he vibrated with an enthusiasm unknown to his withered bones in years. That's genius, he exclaimed. So, Robbie said, who gives a fuck? DeWitt chimed in before Arthur had a chance. We get that book, and the IRS will send out collection efforts en masse. If he's been keeping a record, then we can try to collect back taxes. Arthur smiled. The IRS has not been able to collect back taxes since the war. The revised National Emergency Operations Guide forgives the back taxes of individuals. The colonel's operation here is an entity large enough that can't be ignored. And with that book to audit, we can seize his assets. And because those assets are people, his current inventory also counts as a census. Smoke poured out from Robbie's lips, and a look of terrible mischief lighted her face. I get you two pencil-necked geeks. People are assets, and that book of his is the holy grail for the tax collector of the Armageddon era. You did it once before, Arthur said. So will you help me sneak back in? Robbie took a long drag on her cigarette, then a long pull of whiskey. When that bottle was drained, she opened the tequila. Why the hell not? No one should be a slave. She regarded Arthur with a warm smile, then passed the tequila to DeWitt, who drank from it zealously. Where's the book? She asked. It's attached to the back of one of the colonel's personal slaves, Arthur said, with a mixture of anxiety, excitement, and dread. This was likely suicide, and the chances of them coming back from this were small. But his entire week had been filled with suicidal decisions, so what did one more matter? Either he was foolish or suicidal, but he wouldn't have to face which of these poisons of the mind had inflicted him most until after they succeeded or he was dead. When I saw him, it looked like he was living under the colonel's throne inside some rubble. DeWitt nodded in agreement and then continued to drink the liquor. When Robbia looked at him with contempt, he passed it over to Arthur, his movement sluggish. We do it in the morning he said, with the beginnings of a slur softening its consonants. An old man like me needs rest before he does something stupid, he continued, before walking towards the van. Good night. Arthur and Robbie watched the ancient man saunter away. Once he was in the van, Arthur moved his attention back to Slaver City in the distance. The yellow-orange glow had dissipated, and the glow of the moon had lit a pillar of black smoke, he could feel Robbie's warmth next to him. 
watching slavers die from a distance was so romantic. Give it to me straight, G-Man, she said, somber and serious, because this detail matters. Are you trying to do the right thing here? Or is this a paper filing urge that you have to fill? Her eyes spelled worry. The pleading faces of men and women, beaten and bruised and forced into makeshift cages, lined his mind. There was nothing he could have done that would not have put himself at risk. And he felt guilty for it. He had chosen, maybe wisely, maybe selfishly, to assure his own survival before their freedom. He had to do something about it. It's better to die trying to do something that benefits others instead of a bureaucracy, he said, surprising himself. The IRS can go to hell. I knew you were a shithead Boy Scout the minute I laid eyes on you, Robbie said, smiling ear to ear. I knew you would probably get me killed, but what the hell? Buy the ticket, take the ride. She took a swig of tequila and then grabbed his hand. You are a polite and kind person in a world of radioactive, insecure penises trying to fuck everybody over. She looked affectionately at him. It's refreshing. Arthur wanted to draw her closer, but before he could, she grabbed his hand and abruptly jerked him to his feet. She let him go and fished for something in her pocket. Her hand came out closed, clutching something inside. Her wild eyes flashed with excitement. Speaking of these racist, misogynist, Nazi swine bastards, she cursed. Remember I gave them all of the drugs except the good-feeling ones? She opened her hand to reveal a bunch of capsules, which looked like a clutch of eggs held by a black, five-tentacled squid. What do you say, G-Man? We celebrate our freedom tonight. No rest for the wicked and no sympathy for the devil. Arthur regarded the capsules as if they were tiny pockets of fire. The little bit of alcohol he had drunk had already clattered his mind, but the call for carpe diem from a woman that had just saved his life was one he had to answer. He took a breath for courage and nodded his consent. Turn on, tune in, drop out, Robbie said, smiling prettily. She gave Arthur a single pill, then took three of them herself, washed down with tequila. She grabbed Arthur's hand once more. Arthur looked at the single capsule tentatively, then swallowed it. About the Author M.P. Fitzgerald is an author and humorist dedicated to injecting the feverish gonzo style into fiction. You can get Memos from the Wasteland, which is the official prequel to this book, free. It contains hilariously bleak office drama, Robbie's diary, and Arthur's last letter from his father. To get your copy, just head over to his website at mpfitzgerald.art. You'll also get free updates on future audiobooks and more. We hope you have enjoyed A Happy Bureaucracy by M.P. Fitzgerald, narrated by Gary Bennett. Text copyright 2019 by M.P. Fitzgerald. Production copyright 2021 by M.P. Fitzgerald. Music by Dustmice. Available on all streaming services and dustmice.bandcamp.com. Ah!